the name is uh, we wanted to tell like a story uh, from where the inspiration came from so and a lot of the inspiration as i mentioned before comes from traveling uh, and a lot of hey folks that was the voice of jaren huber chef and owner of matt and ellie's kitchen restaurant and brewery in basel and he's our guest today so grab yourself a drink alcoholic or non-alcoholic depending on your preference and come join us as we talk all things chefy on grab a drink with a swiss chef Hey everybody, and welcome to the show. I'm your host, Daniel Kershaw, and our featured guest today is Jaren, the chef and owner of the restaurant Madden Ellie's in Basel. The actual location is, I hope I pronounce this correctly, Erlen Mad Strass, 93, that's in Basel City. As usual on these pods, I like to point out that I haven't actually eaten at Madden Ellie's yet, and I haven't met Jaren as of yet also. We meet for the first time in this interview, and if I do end up eating at the restaurant, which I hope I will at some point, I will certainly add my experience at the end of this pod at a later date. I'm really happy to have Jaren on the show, and hopefully you enjoy listening, and I encourage you to visit his restaurant at some point in the near future. It really is excellent. Each chef has a story, and here is Jaren's story. Enjoy. Hey, Jaren, and welcome to the podcast. It's uh, nice of you to be here. Hi, Daniel. Uh, thanks for the invitation. I'm excited and uh, excited what questions are coming my way. <laughs> right. So, look, um, before we get into it, you know, I always uh, have a very simple question to ask, uh, and I ask everyone on the podcast, and that is, uh, what are you drinking? I'm actually having my... Uh, Negroni, my after-work Negroni. Uh, it's one of my favorite drinks, always have been. And uh, actually at our place, at Matt and Ellie's, uh, we never served cocktails up until a couple of weeks ago uh, when we okay. hired, uh, in Basel, pretty famous bartender that's working with us part-time. And he did a pre-batch Negroni, uh, sort of a signature house Negroni. And now I'm enjoying this. Oh, very nice. Yeah. It's also one of my favorite yeah. uh, favorite drinks. Okay, so before we talk about uh, you and, and your story, can you tell me a little bit about the, the, the restaurant? You know, what is it uh, for folks that don't know about it? What's the concept? How did it come into your life? And, and basically, what are you doing there? Yeah, sure. Uh, my restaurant is 
called Matt and Ellie. Uh, we started three years ago, uh, just a couple of months before Corona hit. Uh, that was exciting. Wow. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and the idea was to combine the craft beer, so it's a brew brewery uh, within the restaurant, with a casual fine dining concept. And uh, my girlfriend and me, uh, she's the co-owner, uh, we picked up this idea during traveling mostly in the United States and Canada, uh, where we got a lot, of, a lot of inspiration from, and we just wanted to bring something like that to Basel. Uh, so the craft beer, as I said, is a various uh, kinds of beer that we brew in-house. There's always six different home-brewed beers on tap, and the uh, kitchen we focus on mostly local ingredients. Uh, but the dishes themselves can be inspired like from all around the world. Uh, I don't like to call it like a fusion kitchen. It's not that, but the inspiration is like from a range of different influences. Uh, so we have the produce, it's all locally sourced, but we do add uh, some creative touch uh, with uh, spices that might come from abroad. Okay. And how did the name come about? Uh, the name is, uh, we wanted to tell like a story uh, from where the inspiration came from. So, and a lot of the inspiration, as I mentioned before, comes from traveling uh, in a lot of different countries and uh, continents. And uh, so we were looking for maybe like a name that represents this traveling and this like also what kind of feel you get when you enter Matt and Ellie. Uh, this feeling that you get when you're traveling abroad and discovering new things, discovering new food and stuff like that. Uh, and then from there on, we came to like these names like Vagabond or Gypsy and stuff like that. And it's all been used up a couple of times now. And so we thought, okay, where can we see ourselves in? So we came to explorers and discoverers uh, in modern times and ancient times. And we just picked up these random names. They stand for two characters in history uh, that were both explorers in their own field. And now we can tell this story of Matt and Ellie and how they traveled the world and met each other in Basel and decided to settle down here. That's fantastic. And what is your position there, Jaron? Uh, oh, that's uh, it. It varies <laughs> over the time, okay. uh, over the years now. Uh, I'm part owner, so co-owner, uh, I'm manager, I am kind of head chef, although we just uh, recruited a new chef that will fill this position for me, and I'm head brewer, and as soon as the new chef is like, uh, knows his way around within the kitchen and, uh, and the restaurant, uh, I will be pulling out of the kitchen a little bit. I uh, will only be working there part-time and will focus again more on the brewing of the beer. Okay. So I, I take it you're Swiss. I am, yeah. Okay, where, where did you grow up? Uh, I grew up around Basel, uh, so not far from Basel on the countryside, Frankendorf. Okay. And was food a big part growing up? Was uh, it something you'd always uh, imagined... Uh, yeah, being actually, in that field when, when you grew up? Actually, 
it kind of was on and off again. It, food always played a big part in my life. I always liked food. I was always curious, even as a child when we were on vacation in Italy or Spain. Uh, I was always the kid out of the three of us. There were three siblings. I have two older sisters. I was uh, apparently, or that's how the story from my parents goes, uh, I was the one that always ate everything and tried everything, like even stuff that might not be like the most suitable dishes for children. Uh, so in Spain we ate paella and I just gobbled it up, with up the chicken, the seafood, everything. Uh, so I always kind of had this uh, curiosity about food and cooked a lot at home, even as a, a small kid. Uh, if I, like, we set bets with uh, neighbors from me, uh, like the parents of uh, neighboring kids, uh, I don't know, playing soccer in the street and whoever scored more goals or whoever loses has to cook a meal for the other one. <laughs> so right. even then I had to invite the parents of my uh, of my friends back then and cook food for them at the age of maybe eight, eight years or nine years. Uh, yeah, so it always uh, played a big role in my life. Yeah. And what was your favorite uh, dish growing up? My favorite dish? I don't know. It's, I grew up vegetarian. My parents are both vegetarian, so I grew up vegetarian. I never had a single bite of meat until the age of five or six. Okay. Uh, once I had a taste for that, I felt like I had to make up for, <laughs> for the, <laughs> the years before. Uh, so I always like, for me on my birthday or whenever my mother asked me what I, what, what I wanted her to cook for me on a special occasion, it was always a mashed potato with a ragu. So a, a typical Swiss ragu with the chunky mm. meat, chunky beef. Uh, yeah, that was it. That was one of my favorites. And uh, as you progressed and, um, you know, you got to school, um, what did you study at college or university? Was it in the hospitality industry or was it something completely different? Yeah, I did. Actually, I was a, a lazy kid at school. I was like, my grades were pretty good. Uh, it always came mostly easy to me, uh, the school stuff. Uh, so I didn't have to invest a lot to get decent grades. Uh, and I just hated studying, like studying extra. It, it didn't make no... Yeah, I just hated it. Uh, so when it came to like uh, what career path I want to follow, for me it was like uh, whatever career path uh, asked for the least investment <laughs> in school time. Uh, yeah, and so I decided to do an apprenticeship as a chef in Switzerland. We have the duales Bildungssystem, so you right. actually learn on the job uh, in a restaurant and visit school one day a week uh, to learn the theoretics part of it and uh, that stuff. Uh, so that was my, my education I got. Uh, I tried after maybe... Four years after I finished my apprenticeship, uh, I had a short detour on a Esheil, a Schweizerische Hotelfachschule. Okay. Uh, and then I remembered again why I hate school. Uh, so that only <laughs> lasted one semester. And then I bailed out and went back just to work. That's, that's what I always love. That's what comes natural to me. Mm -hmm. And where, was, where would you say was the career-defining training that you received? 
or was it was it a place or, or was it a, a another chef that kind of took you under his wing no it's got my my career as a chef if you want to call it that it's quite uh not very typical i did my apprenticeship i did that very well i finished best uh of all the chefs in basel uh for my year uh top of the class and after that i worked uh, at a restaurant for one year as a chef mm-hmm. and then i was kind of fed up or burned out for lack of a better word i just couldn't handle the pressure on a daily basis i wasn't uh, i wasn't mature enough to like embrace the pressure as something positive mm-hmm. uh, and also being able to let go of the pressure once mm-hmm. the work is done uh, so I quit my job as a chef and I went to work as a barkeeper for a couple of years then I did some management gigs for restaurants and bars uh, in the area and in all that time where I didn't work as a chef it's still like I still kept track of what are the trends, what are the mm-hmm. new techniques and how the, the kitchen or the cuisine uh, is evolving. Uh, so it always kept that fascination for me, uh, but I couldn't see myself working as a chef anymore. And mm-hmm. then once I decided to open my own place with my girlfriend, uh, I decided to go back, uh, work, at, work in kitchens as a, sh- as a chef again. Mm-hmm. Uh, just to see where I'm standing, if I'm still like, uh, if I'm still able to do it uh, on a decent level. Uh, basically, for a risk management reason, if we open our own place, I wanted to be able to fill basically all roles roles within the restaurant. Uh, so I started working again at a couple of restaurants in Basel, and it I immediately 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 got hooked again it was like i in hindsight i kind of don't understand how i could leave this job for 10 years Mm -hmm. obviously needed all that for me to like really find my passion again uh but yeah it's it's amazing i I love it it's yeah it's an awesome awesome occupation and uh so to answer your question i always kept informing myself uh, what's going on uh, within the world of chefs and restaurants. Right. And it's just that it, that internship or uh, that yeah. apprenticeship, it kind of really burnt you out, right? It, this um, kind of burnt, or not the year after that, that, that was, yeah. that burnt me out a little I'm bit. always fascinated about that. So I'm asking, uh, you know, when I have chefs on the, on the podcast, I'm asking yep. them about this this topic, um, and it feels like you know it, it is a rite of passage that you know most chefs have to go through. Like they have to live that life, right? Where yep. it's extremely low paid, extremely high. Pre- I mean, sometimes it's it's not even paid, right? It's an unpaid uh, uh, trainee. Yeah, and uh, it, that is a it, it is a big issue at the moment, as we read about Noma. Yep. Uh, however, you want to judge that what they're doing uh, and how they're like selling it, that they're closing the restaurant. Uh, opinions are divided on that, right? Uh, mine included. Uh, but yeah, this something has to give within mm-hmm. this, this industry. It, it can't work like that. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to be a fair and healthy 
work environment because I think it is changing. I mean, at least from the people that I'm talking to. Sure, right? obviously. I mean, when it's I it's getting better. Yeah, I mean, if you compare it to how apprentices were treated like 20 years ago, mm -hmm. 30 years ago, uh, or chefs in general, and how the work environment was in the kitchens uh, like a couple of decades ago or years ago, it is for sure getting better. And that's the one part that you don't have this toxic environment anymore. The other part where I don't have a question at all, uh, only a lot of answers, is the salaries are so low. And mm -hmm. you can't, I mean, there are jobs where you have to say, yeah, you have, you have to live for it. You need to have the passion because the pay, it, the passion basically needs to even out the lack of payment. And that's just not sustainable. And, right, yeah. especially in Switzerland. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, t talk to me a little bit about um, your, your favorite style of cooking, your st favorite style of food. Like, yeah. <clears throat> what ingredients do you, do you like to work with? Oof, that's a tough one. Uh, I'm still, like, I always ask myself the same question. How, how would I describe my style of food? And mm -hmm. I haven't found an answer yet. It's a constant thing that's evolving. That's evolving. Uh, and also, like, it's a constant searching. Uh, so, I mean, what I, I love Italian food. I just love it. I've been there on vacation again last, uh, last fall. And I'm blown away every time I visit Italy. The food, the, this cuisine, it's just like outstanding in itself and what would you say is uh, i mean do you have any signature dishes like your you know your, the dishes you can just go to and you know you're gonna perfect it every time you you make it yeah uh like in a private setting for my own at home uh some italian dishes like uh, pasta al ragu or ragu di salsiccia, stuff like that, uh, risotto, classic risotto. Mm -hmm. uh, that's something I love, like perfecting and trying to do it better every time. Uh, even though it's pretty damn good, I think. Uh, but it's still something like I, I really try to perfect every time I do it. Mm -hmm. uh, at Matandelli, our menu changes like we have eight dishes on the a la carte sides uh, on the a la carte menu and like they rotate every three weeks. So every three weeks, half of the menu comes off. Uh, so there's this constant like changing and it's a really fast pace where you always have to push out new dishes, new ideas. And I think I'm actually kind of proud to say within these three years that we're uh, running the restaurant now, there's not a single dish that we had twice on a menu. Wow. And uh, so, yeah. So how, you know, talking about the menu, how do you go about designing this menu? Um, was, it, was it intuitive in the beginning or was it uh, something you went online, you, or you pulled a recipe from a cookbook, did you yeah. check the competitors? You know, how did you do that? Uh, it can be a lot of a lot of those things that you just mentioned. Uh, mostly, what I my first approach is I check our uh, suppliers uh, with their regional produce, what they have an offer, what is in season, 
just right now. And that's like the first step because that's what is available to me. Mm-hmm. I can't come up with an idea, then check my suppliers, see, oh no, they can't deliver Cavalonero. Uh, so what do I do? So mm-hmm. I need to check up uh, on it first, what's actually available to me. And after that, it can be a lot of things. I draw a lot of inspiration uh, from other chefs, uh, ideas that I see on the internet, like on social media or YouTube. And I would say like 60%, it's just an idea that pops into my head. can be one single produce. Oh, I'm really craving, I don't know, Cavolonero, uh, to mention that again. Right. I'm really craving that. And then I build a dish around this product. And then in terms of once you've developed this this menu, do you have a a process where you bring in friends and family to, as tasters? Um, or is it just between you and your, your, your staff? Like, you know, it's, and then you're tweaking it? Or how, how does that go? It's mostly be, uh, between me and my chefs. And mm-hmm. uh, some dishes or some creations are like, they come together in my head or our heads. And we know that that's a sure thing that's going to work. We don't need to test it a lot, maybe one component or two, but uh, maybe a technique that's not that, like, that's a little bit new to us. Uh, And other dishes, there's just like a rough idea. And then we try and do some R&D and test it. Does it go better with this or this technique or this heat uh, or this treatment? Uh, And that process can take up some time but it also time is limited because as i mentioned every three weeks we uh, swap out half of the menu so we don't have a lot of time for r&d like Mm -hmm. uh, besides running the daily business okay um i mean is there anything right now on your menu um that really sums up the the concept of of matinelli's right so if i come in tomorrow and I say, hey, you know, what two dishes shall I take? Yeah. Uh, Which would they be? Yeah, I think so. There's one that I'm pretty excited about and which kind of represents maybe a little or pretty good uh, how I try to work or how we try to work at Matandeli. It's going to be veal merlan. So that's a second cut out of the thigh of the veal. Uh, with an olive crumb, black olive crumble, sobrasada de Mallorca, spelt and spinach. And the melon is the second cut, so we work with a lot of second cuts uh, to keep our prices in a reasonable range and also offer people a chance or a glimpse into what other produce there might be besides the one that are really popular anyways. Uh, and then the sobrasada de Mallorca really represents for like a spice that's or like a product that's from abroad which we use usually try to avoid to keep the produce uh, locally sourced uh, and the spelt again it's from a small uh, small farm just outside of Basel uh, which sell their produce on a platform called Feld zu Tisch uh, where you can like it's a basically a Amazon for just local producers and local uh, customers yeah, so it has basically all these things within one dish. The second cut, uh, something from a foreign country or a, a country in Europe, another country, uh, totally 
hyper locally sourced meats, starch and vegetables. Yeah. Excellent. And I'm pretty excited about that. And it also, I never, that's just an idea that popped into my head. Mm-hmm. The sobrasada and the veal and the olives, like this flavor combination of spicy, a little bitter, salty, and then this really meaty flavor from the veal. And the inspiration for that dish, was that something that hit you while you were walking or was it something you saw uh, on social media? Where did that particular dish come from? Uh, I mean, it would make for a great story uh, (laughs) depicting myself as being out in nature. (laughs) Uh, Unfortunately, I don't really have a lot of time or not as much as I like to. So uh, it just came to me sitting at home on the couch and... I don't. Th- I think I was watching a, a movie or something. Okay. And my mind wandered, and that popped into my head. Excellent. Um, talk to me a little bit about the management of a, of, of the restaurant because you're also a co-owner. Um, yeah. What's um, what is your management style um, in the restaurant or as a chef? Because uh, it's like my management style. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. Ahead. I mean, you know, because when you get into a leadership position, I guess, in a kitchen, you know, what is that like for the first time? And, yeah. and also, you know, how is it to, like, discipline people for the first time in that position? Yeah. Is, there, is there a steep learning curve? Or do you just kind of bring in people that plug in super well to you and your, your personality? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that would be the dream if you actually had the, the how do you say, the plug-in the crowd, <laughs> crowd to pick from right. uh, the people that really like fit into your style of cooking and your style of working. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, the market is pretty dry. There's not a lot of people uh, looking for jobs in the restaurant industry at the moment. I've been hearing this a lot lately. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we're super lucky. I have a great team i have great people uh for me most important is character like they have to they have to kind of want to know what matt and ellie is about they have to be this open-minded to like embrace new experiences new challenges they have to be able to challenge themselves a little bit but not push themselves too hard to a point where it's not healthy anymore uh and we're trying to have a, a respectful and fun work environment. And everyone needs to contribute to that. That's how I try to lead. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I want it to be sustainable. I want people to stay with us for a long time. And for that to happen, they have to, they have to feel like it's a good place to work and it's a good place to come to every day. Uh, I also ask a lot. Uh, my quality standards are pretty high, maybe too high sometimes. I had a not so really great experience sometimes uh, with my uh, boss in my apprenticeship. He had mm-hmm. a, although he was a great guy, he was really generous. He also had a bit of a choleric side to him, uh, which got the better of him sometimes. Okay, and I suffered from time to time under that and i try to avoid that funny mm-hmm. thing is that no now that i have my own restaurant i really understand where this reaction from him back then came from it's all the pressure it's existential pressure it's quality uh quality pressure like 
you want to maintain this quality because you have a reputation and mm -hmm. you need to sustain your business and stuff. Uh, so I have a, it's a pretty fascinating experience for me, like mm -hmm. seeing myself, uh, yeah, in, in him as well. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I try to avoid that and try to work on myself and I'm doing a decent job, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes I'm too focused. Uh, that's something I'm working on, like contributing to like a, a how do you say, like a, a fun atmosphere within mm -hmm. like while working because I tend to lose myself in my focus and my work that I'm doing just now. Mm -hmm. How much time are you spending on the, um, the beer element of, uh, of the business, like brewing uh, this? Well, now someone is uh, helping me with the brewing. Mm -hmm. uh, so usually we did one batch a week. That's uh, one batch is 500 liters. Uh, so that's maybe seven hours of brewing plus two hours uh, on the front end, on the back end uh, for cleaning and prep preparing everything. So maybe 10 to 12 hours a week. Mm -hmm. And it's all done in the restaurant? It's all done in the restaurant, yeah. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. I'm curious to know what, in the last three years of you guys being open, what's the most memorable moment you've had in the restaurant? Like, and what's been like the biggest accomplishment? Hmm. That's a good question. I don't really know how. There's not like a single uh, like experience or a... Mm -hmm. Was it getting through the pandemic and then still being open? I mean, that's also a big... Oh, yeah, uh, that's actually, that's, that's, yeah, now that you mention it, that's not like getting through the pandemic. I mean, obviously it was like uh, f fucking exhausting. Yeah. Uh, especially in the beginning, not knowing, yeah, this might be the end already for our business, for our startup. Uh, so there was that. Uh, that's pretty negative. Um, but on the positive side, once we got our heads together and like said, no, let's do whatever we can do. Mm -hmm. uh, and we had all these beers uh, ready to drink, uh, but no way to get rid of them. And right. so we worked with another startup uh, with a mobile canning line. And they came to our place. We canned all the beers uh, and then we do the uh, Rampenverkauf, uh, ramp sale, mm -hmm. just out the window. And there was a line, not literally around the block, but there was a huge line of people standing there waiting to, for us to open a window and sell our beers. And that was like, that was a, more than a glimpse of hope because it was like, wow, we've only been open like two months, three months and already our brand is somehow recognized in Basel and people actually line up. Uh, so that was a pretty, pretty good experience. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then did you add on to that uh, as the weeks went by with, with food uh, and through the window? Yeah, or? exactly. We did that on like occasion uh, where we did uh, another ramp sale and then we did uh, when we could, when it was allowed again, we did uh, a smash burgers and beer out the window, stuff like that. Uh, and it was all it was all pretty fun because we never intended to bottle or can our beers um, mm -hmm. but since this was such a huge success we kept doing it and now we're stuck uh, with having to in a positive way 
having to can our beers on a regular basis, which is cool, which we probably would have never done or not this early uh, in the opening would have done. And yeah, that's something that's... Did you get involved with the um, online delivery um, companies? Um, Was that a big thing during the pandemic for you? Uh, No, not really. We looked into it uh, and... I'm not sure why we decided against it. In Probably the, the commission they were yeah, taking, right? It's like 30%. Yeah, stuff like that. We did for the first ramp sale, we actually did uh, delivery uh, ourselves where you could basically say that I want it uh, delivered to my doorstep. And then we went on our bikes and delivered it for ourselves. It was like maybe, I don't know, 40 orders mm-hmm. all over Basel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was fun, uh, but we didn't do that <laughs> not again. Uh, and then for Christmas, uh, we did like people could order directly with us, and we would package it and we would uh, put it, bring it to the post office for shipping. Okay. Uh, yeah. And what what you know coming out of that pandemic, what what were the main lessons learned for you as a as a restaurant owner? Not a lot of positive, I have to say. It's mm-hmm. not. Uh, I don't want to sound depressing because I'm not not depressed at all, uh, but it made this whole business way, way harder. Uh, I think before I had a pretty good gauge on how this business works, uh, what it needs to uh, open a restaurant uh, in terms of quality and concepts and uh, offering that you have in order to like get a decent turnover mm-hmm. uh, since even all the corona restrictions are waived the uh, i don't know the term in english the consumverhalten it's it's totally different the market has just changed in a sustainable mm-hmm. way so it's way more volatile it's way more unpredictable and i hear this from a lot of really established restaurants in basel as well that weekdays that they were fully booked for sure before corona now suddenly on occasion they have an empty or not an empty or half empty restaurant on a friday or on thursday and on the other hand they have a fully booked restaurant and a lot of walk-ins on a tuesday so it's it's really unpredictable Mm -hmm. and yeah unfortunately i mean yeah good lessons learned yeah you have to to stay flexible and just like have to react on whatever the world is is throwing at you Mm -hmm. and that you also can like take something positive from experiences like that if you are ready and if you do react it's more like keep moving because the moving itself will give you a little bit more energy uh, versus just sitting around and waiting for it to become better or the circumstance to become better okay yeah and what's your you know your based in Basel. Mm-hmm. Um, what's your take on the, the options and the restaurants available in, in Basel? Um, is, it, uh, is it in good health? Is, it, uh, you know, is there a vast array of uh, new restaurants popping mm-hmm. up or is a lot of closing down? You know, what's your take? Uh, my take, I love how the, the restaurant scene in Basel developed over the last maybe five or six years. Uh, there's a lot of new places and new ideas, especially from younger people within the industry that really 
bring this this concept and this style of food and cuisine uh, that I was kind of missing in Basel before. It's more contemporary, it's more international, it's more cosmopolitan. Like back in the day, I always had to go to either Zurich or another bigger city within Europe to like really get this this kind of eclectic restaurants that have a cool casual fine dining thing going on and now we have a lot of uh, restaurants in Basel that do that as well they focus on local produce they focus on vegan vegetarian uh, and that's awesome I love that so that's the one side and there's actually been a lot of new openings within even during corona not a lot but still a couple mm -hmm. of really cool concepts that opened uh, mid corona or in between the the the, the peaks of corona infections mm -hmm. uh, and after corona as well and I think that's great I hope it's a good sign uh, that's the one side on the other side I mean in Basel you have I don't know how many Michelin starred restaurants it's insane for a small yeah. city like that and that's I mean that's a cool thing as well it's great for Basel uh, it's not so great for me because I can't <laughs> afford it that much <laughs> even though I would yeah. like to go there more often um, yeah but that's for Basel compared to the size of the city the, the offerings it's, mm -hmm. it's insane and then there's a lot of mediocre stuff like the restaurants that run the same shit for 40 years and in my opinion they survive because of the yeah, location it, right uh, the, yeah location and i don't know they they their investment paid off long ago so they mm -hmm. don't yeah they have no more mm -hmm. abschreibung and i don't know how they do it but yeah i guess this market it needs mm -hmm. to thin out a little and it will probably okay i mean um just take me back a little bit um before you opened uh madanelli's i'm i'm always interested to know about when someone mm -hmm. starts What's like the first thing you you're looking for in terms of suppliers, right? In Switzerland, yeah. How do you go about finding yeah. these people to get the the right price to be able to keep your costs low? Yeah. Uh, there's not a lot. I mean, I don't know. All the restaurants I worked with, they more or less always worked with local. Mm -hmm. medium-sized suppliers or supplying companies uh, and for me I knew a lot of them already because I always kept within this the restaurant industry in Basel I was well connected uh, so I knew what new suppliers are uh, on the market and so for me it was like clear that we wanted to best case work directly with the producer so no middleman in between uh, because then I actually know uh, this cauliflower was grown on this patch and it's not maybe it's from Italy maybe it's from Spain maybe it's from northern Africa imported uh, and that's what I wanted I wanted to have control over where my stuff where my produce is coming from uh, and the rest came about along the way. I mean, as I mentioned before, I got involved in this uh, Lebensmittelnetzwerk. It's a Genossenschaft uh, cooperative uh, where we 
established this this platform, this internet, this online market, basic marketplace, uh, where new suppliers can come on, even very small suppliers uh, from within a radius of 50 kilometers around Basel. Mm -hmm. uh, and this marketplace is growing and growing and some producers, they only have like two different products on there because that's the only thing they grow or that makes sense mm -hmm. to them to uh, put on the marketplace. Uh, and others have a pretty wide range of uh, produce that they uh, offer on there. And that's something I hope grows in a sustainable way. In, in, at the moment, it's still like in a, in a pilot phase. Uh, and that's called uh, Fell to Tisch? Fell to Tisch, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah, that's something we actually tried to actively help create a, a structure or like an awareness for that there's a lot of awesome produce around mm -hmm. around us everywhere. We always mm -hmm. had, when I, like 20 years ago, chefs always said like, oh no, the best truffle comes from there and the best veggies come from there and the awesome best meat is from Ireland and the best beef, I don't know, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And this, this might be true, but there's so much products around us that are not that famous, that are not that popular, but they're awesome and they're really innovative mm -hmm. and uh, they're not like, yeah, you just have to figure a way actually to get them and to do something good with them. And, uh, and what about um, what about seafood, for example? Um, yeah, I missed that. You know, so it's Switzerland, you know, it's a <laughs> yeah, landlocked yeah. country. How do you how do you go about getting fresh fish yeah. here because i mean that's my f personally that's my favorite yeah i, I love seafood. seafood and i really struggle yeah. here that, that it is a tough one to get good seafood in switzerland uh it's the one thing that for me personally uh i sometimes like think oh it would be so great if we just could like throw overboard our our concept restrictions and uh go order some nice crabs or lobster or clams mm -hmm. or oysters uh, but yeah, it's not meant to be. What's great is that we have, uh, there's a lot of, uh, how do you say, farmed fish companies mm -hmm. uh, yeah. uh, starting up in Switzerland. So we have really good salmon from Lostallo uh, in Tessin, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, so we can offer salmon that's farmed in Switzerland. Uh, we have perch pike, which I love. It's an awesome fish. It's great for yeah. tartar, ceviche, it's so versatile. Uh, so that's farmed in Switzerland. You can also get it wild caught from Lago Maggiore. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have Swiss shrimp. The, they farm shrimp in Rheinfelden, uh, in Mölin. Mm -hmm. And the quality is off the chart. It's amazing. Uh, sadly, it's, it's really expensive. Justified so, but it's too expensive for us to put on a menu. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so there is options available. Right. Okay. Um, you know, let's kind of switch now uh, more about uh, advice, yep. right? That you, uh, you, you know, you've been through this, you've been through a lot in the last three years and your career yeah. in, uh, in general. You know, what learnings and advice would you give to, you know, all the would-be chefs or restaurateurs out there who are thinking about opening a restaurant in Switzerland? In Switzerland, I think, I don't know, I haven't lived in a, or I haven't lived abroad at all, but 
if you open an own restaurant, be prepared for pretty harsh criticism in the in the beginning, in the starting mm -hmm. phase. Uh, unfortunately, or that's my impression, Switzerland is not a startup friendly country or community. Uh, it's more like if you tell someone, oh, "I'm gonna open my, uh, I'm gonna start my own business," uh, the first reaction isn't, "Wow, that's so cool, go for it! I wish you the best of luck." It's the reaction is always, "Oh, are you sure?" And you know that's really risky, and there's a lot of work involved. So actually, the first reaction it's not like, "Yeah, go for it," but rather. Uh, if I were you, I wouldn't do this. So, and that's also a really weird start. Um, and then again, when you open the place, uh, your restaurant, uh, obviously you put a lot of thought into it. Uh, obviously you believe in what you're doing. And then you get a lot of reactions. Oh, it's pretty expensive. Oh, the portions are too small. Uh, we don't understand the menu. We expected something else wherever that comes from because nowadays your expectations are out in the open or like the offering is it's on the website it's on the menu on mm -hmm. the door uh, it's on social media so how can you expect a fucking schnitzel and a roast <laughs> right. chicken uh, when you come to Mattandelli? that's not my fucking right. fault so don't blame me for it uh, yeah that's the negative so get a thick skin mm -hmm. in the beginning and stay your mm -hmm. course don't veer off just because you have a, a couple of bad feedbacks. Uh, but also be extremely self-reflected. You have to be your own hardest critic. Uh, because if you can't step back and have a look at it in a more or less objective way, uh, you might run into some real bad trouble because you can't see where your flaws are. Uh, so, yeah, self-reflection, a lot of confidence and patience. Mm -hmm. Okay, yeah. great. Very nice. Thank you very much, uh, Jarin. Um, I just have three last questions uh, to ask yeah, before sure. we go. Um, yeah. Is cooking an art or a craft? For me, it's more a craft. I, I enjoy the the crafty side of it that's where i as i mentioned before i can totally get into and get into the zone uh, and forget everything around me so that's for me it's totally a crafty part like being precise being fast doing several things at once uh, so that's craft for me the creative part creating stuff that's more the art side to it uh, but it doesn't need to be an art. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. And it's a bit of a funny one. If you were trapped on a desert island, what three items would you take with you? Uh, yeah, for sure, a, a knife, a cast iron pan, and uh, yeah, a good book. <laughs> right. And do you have any social media accounts that our listeners uh, can follow to see you and your work at uh, Matinelli's? Uh, yeah, not my personal one. <laughs> no, I'm not really good on so or not. Yeah, it's not my thing. Uh, but the Matt and Ellie account for sure. You can link to that uh, Matt Ellie Basel. Uh, that's where we where you get uh, shots of the plates and uh, the restaurant and everything. 
uh, yeah. Super. So that's it. Then I'd like to thank uh, our guest Jarin for, for being a part of this uh, podcast today. And thank you to the listeners for tuning in. Thanks, Daniel. Uh, it was a pleasure being on and uh, hear from you soon, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Wish you all the best. All right. Likewise. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey folks, thanks for listening to this episode of Grab a Drink with a Swiss Chef. Hope you enjoyed it and are much more wiser for it. And as I tell you all the time, if you fancy giving us a rating, it makes a big difference. I know it's a pain, but your support is crucial. So if you do feel motivated, go to wherever you get your pods from and give a review or a rating. Obviously, we depend on listeners and depend on more and more people finding out about this pod. So if you've liked what you've listened to, A good review really does help. Thanks, folks. Really appreciate it.